I'm Matthew Buckley-Smith, and you're listening to Slee Ricketts. Thank you all for listening. Uh, thank you for <laughs> bearing with me a little bit this past week. I, I am back in town from the ALSCW conference. It was a good conference. Pretty fucking exhausting. I am definitely coming down with something, but it was lovely to see and uh, hopefully not not directly, in fact, lots of past and future Slee Ricketts guests. I uh, learned some things, uh, had, had some good conversations, went to a lot of panels, some good, some deadly boring. Uh, I sat across from Chris Wyman, who, uh, who gave a reading and who uh, had, had, had dinner with him and some other uh, ALCW notables. I was like the uh, I was the, I was the the traveling companion. I was the I was sort of uh, I was along like the like the organ grinder's monkey uh, as Ryan ran the show. But I I slid a sleeve ricket sticker across the table to Christian Wyman and he he gave me a big beatific Yale Divinity School smile and he slid it right back to me. So no luck there, but. I'm not sure this was his style anyway. I have a I have a really good episode for you this week. This is the first part of a conversation Cameron and I had with Matt Wall, who wrote a just uh, an ongoing. He's continued to write an amazing series of uh, intermittently angry, critical emails about everything that we get wrong in the show but he was a whole lot of fun to talk to very sweet generous guy with a lot of totally fucking uh, uh balls to the wall not just bonkers ideas about poetry so uh he is just as wrong as he claims i am but i do quite uh enjoy him. we had a great conversation it was very long so i'm going to put this i'm going to put the rest of this out in another uh part or two but i think you will enjoy it. He had a series of, of numbered uh, claims or arguments that he, he, he'd set down ahead of time. So we sort of go through those. Uh, it takes us quite a while. So I think this, we may only get to the first one in this episode, but we talk about uh, writing poetry, reading poetry, talking about reading and writing poetry, and a bunch of other stuff. There were a number of interruptions, both from uh, my daughters, <laughs> like quite quite a few of those, it, particularly at times that were that were real difficult to edit around, and uh, and then Cameron had a little bit of trouble with his mic. So we we have a few sort of funny cuts in and out, but with luck, it should all be fairly easy to follow. If you like what you hear, please do go to sleeverickets.substack.com and sign up for the Secret Show there. If you've already signed up for the Secret Show. I uh, I definitely owe you an episode or two, and that is coming. So sorry for the delay. It has been a hell of a month, but uh, I will be getting to that uh, post haste. Is there anything else? Uh, oh, I'll put links to uh, Matt has a Matt Wall has a podcast. He has a website. He has a million other things, YouTube, all that stuff. So I'll I'll put links to his website with all that information in the show notes. You can reach me as always at sleeverickets at gmail dot com. Anything else? Oh, one more thing. Why the fuck does New Haven smell like weed? Everywhere we went, they just they, it smelled like skunky, skunky weed. And at one point, we were standing outside a pizza joint, uh, and uh, and some some kids were literally smoking weed, and it smelled so much fresher and and smoother than what we've been smelling smelling over, all over town. So you're not going to convince me that it is actually just the smell of weed everywhere. Nowhere is that suffused in shitty, shitty weed. Uh, you're also not going to convince me that it's actual skunks. When I'm driving through a, a rural southern highway at night, when I'm driving you know, with the windows down, I, I smell skunk. Then I assume it's skunk. I, does New Haven have skunks like that? I, I don't know, man. But something smells like fucking skunky weed all over New Haven. And don't tell me it's Josiah Cox already did. Lovely, brilliant guy. But I can't believe he's right about this. He told me it was the... Uh, Bradford pear trees. I know Bradford pear trees. Bradford pear trees, I'm sorry, Josiah, but they smell like cum. And cum and weed do not smell the same. I have that on excellent authority. Anyway, if you are a Yaley and you have an answer, do let me know. Otherwise, please enjoy this conversation with Cameron and Matt Wall of IHateMattWall.com, etc. Wild, wild guy. Really, really fucking wild.
Well, I guess we, we can't start if you want with just, you gave us a list of three main points. Do you have those in front of you or do you want me to read just down the list? Um, I can pull them up if you'd like. And you, the manifesto poem thing. You can't, yeah, because you had, and some of it was, and, and I also may have, may have broken it up incorrectly because some of it you have in like poem form or it wasn't clear always if it was like bullet form. Uh, and we should say you, you mentioned that you were, you came to Sleeve Ricketts by way of Alice's friend, Eleanor. Yeah. Who's, who's been on Poetry Says a couple times, is very entertaining to listen to. And then uh, also does YouTube videos, uh, which you do. You, you're on, there's like, there's book YouTube, which I don't, I like, I only know of it, but it's its own hot little uh, like ecosystem. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's what it is. It's okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, but you started writing uh, very charming but uh, furious emails <laughs> to me <laughs> about everything that uh, we were getting wrong, which seemed to be... Dude, seriously, yeah. it was just that one episode. I think if I would have came to you guys <laughs> on a different episode, I would have been like, oh, this is great. You know, we're just like, this is fantastic. Blah, 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 blah. But it was just like everything that makes me furious right. about the poetry world you guys all seemed to hit within like 15 minutes and it was like what the it was like the perfect storm of like yeah. the things that drive me nuts and so i'm looking for this thing right now yeah, i'm yeah. sorry it's sacred I, I, I've, I've had a similar experience with some of my favorite podcasts i often like would coming in i knew there was a topic i was interested in or something but then i, I would find one or more Better of the hosts go. infuriatingly annoying for a while until I then eventually, in a way, like it helps to get a sense of a, like a ground level, a sense of like wh where they're coming from in order yeah. to then read the comments on top of that. Uh, but when you're coming in cold, it can be, it yeah. can just well, be the plus side, the plus side for you guys and not to suck your guys' dicks too hard here, but like <laughs> you guys are seriously like enjoyable to listen to. Like you don't sound like, and it's so funny because you guys say all the time, like I'm not trying to sound pretentious, but <laughs> And you guys don't come off as pretentious. That's the thing. And a lot of people who talk about this stuff come off so fucking horrible yeah, that, like, yeah. you just don't want to fucking listen to them. So the yeah. fact that you guys don't makes it... Um, and honestly, most of the guests, I, I haven't hit all of your guests or anything sure, like sure. that yet. But um, for the most part, everyone you talk to has sounded very pleasant to be around. So Good. that's Good. a plus. Yeah, excellent. And I and I know like a lot of people who listen disagree with almost everything. So I'm I'm always I'm always ha happy to have. I do like I got an email from a guy who was like, please talk about this. I went and then he was like, I I it's so great to have a podcast I disagree with so so strongly and so often. I was like, so you want us to talk about this topic that you you just named in order to hear what you don't agree with? Like you, so yeah. yeah but I'm I'm, gl like, I'm glad I'm glad to have them. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that's great. Yeah, please. Um, yeah, yeah, if you would just read, uh, I asked you to distill some of your thoughts or objections into into a few points we could uh, build off of, and then you, you sent a, a list of a few things, but you, you had these three main points. Okay, and you want me to hit those? Yeah, you just start with oh, one and we'll wait. go from there. That's not what I wanted to do. So, poetry is art, therefore it has to be judged subjectively. Form is a method on which academia can put rules on art in order to judge it objectively. Once this happens, it ceases to be art. All right. I think they're, they're like three and a half or four separate claims. And I definitely agree with some of them, but if I can, if I can try to break it down to the best of my understanding, like I think we all are with you on poetry as art. Though, though I wonder, based on some of the other things you've said, if maybe we, like I have, a, I'll, I'll spoil it here a little bit. Like I have a theory that some of what our, some of what we may disagree on is, it, it may just be a matter of what we're calling poetry. Like, I, I, think, yeah. I think it may just be a question of like what, what you want from poetry or what you, what you want to think of when you say, you know, poetry at large. And I, I suspect it may just be that we're, we're sort of talking about there's a Joe Windereth line. We were on the same ball field, but we were playing different games. Mm -hmm. um, so it may be something like that, or it may even be that we were on different ball ball fields, but we were, but we thought we were playing the same game. 
<laughs> Something more like that, maybe. Uh, but Cameron, do you have any, because I know you've spent a lot of time arguing with your friends about art and subjectivity. Do you have any, do you have any thoughts off the top of your head? I mean, I spent a lot of time arguing with one friend about art and subjectivity. Mm. The other friends don't. Shit. But, um, right. So let's take the first one. So, um, poetry must be judged subjectivity, uh, subjectively. Sure. So word ask is like so mm, this is it so matthew you made a point about like the connection between poet all poetry giving some pleasure and then like dick sucking gives most people <laughs> so pleasure. much we'll trouble say most from now, that comment but like yeah yeah, yeah yeah we can't we can't be totally completed but um it, do you think so matt do you think there's any way that a poem can be judged that or like any criteria that you could critique a poem on that without just saying I subjectively like it or I subjectively don't like it? Like, is there, because like, yeah. I go to like I mean, critiquing they're... websites and I'm like, I critique poems all the time. So can, can you critique a poem if you just think that all poetry is subjective and just some people like it and some people don't? If you are judging it based on the things that have been put together as far as like form and meter and rhyme and um, consonants and assonance and all this other stuff, if you put all that shit in there, then yeah, you can judge it. But what I'm saying and what like my big beef is the whole reason why those things are there and why forms are taught is so things could be judged objectively, which they shouldn't be in the first place hmm. is my big argument. Because once you start judging art objectively, it ceases to become art and it becomes fact. So instead of being taught in literature class, it should be taught in math class because math is facts. Like you can't argue math. So if you're going to put like rules on things to where you can't argue anything, that's what you would have to do with that. I wonder, I wonder if we could, because I think some of the, the difficulty here is in the, is in the hard dichotomy between subjectivity and objectivity like you were told i think we're with you and like nobody would really want poetry to be taught as math i mean there are right, there are right. techniques that have that are that are as you said objective and that you can you can sort of measure and identify in 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 crisp more or less inarguable terms but you know i think that i think that subject like because i think cameron gets a good point when you say like art has to be poetry has to be judged subjectively that does seem almost like a contradiction in terms like if it is subjective the way you mean it then judging is almost out the window exactly and, and like, I, well, I think i think critiquing is wrong like right. i think okay like poetry critique literature critique the whole thing like that is something that should never happen in the first place literature literary criticism at large is gone yeah okay all right okay okay so so then like i guess the like where my mind goes with this question is something like food. So mm -hmm. not that I have any special love for like food critics say, but I, I wonder, you know, and like, and I'm not, I'm a terrible cook, but there are a couple things I make pretty well. Um, and I, you know, I'm just thinking about like, if you were to have a basic, I would at some point maybe kind of enjoy in a, in like a boring suburban dad way, taking a cooking class, and like learning how to make a few things. And I do think that there's taste has a lot to do with it. Like there's plenty of stuff I like that other people don't like and vice versa. Mm -hmm. But there's also such a thing as like a good version of one of those dishes or not. And I do think that if, a, if I took a cooking class, I would hope that the teacher could help me make something that tasted better rather than worse for what it was. Like, I don't think, I think you're right. Like, it, it has to be tasted by some individual person's tongue and nobody can say yeah. from one person to another, you like this or you don't like this. But it's also not quite true to say that it's sort of all up for grabs and there's no correlation. Well, there's no, me, there's nothing use, predictable. There's nothing learnable in there, right? Let me use what you're saying here because if we go by this, if like, would you consider a chef more of a genius, let's say, if he's reading a recipe and following the recipe exactly to make the dish that the recipe says to make, mm -hmm. or if the chef goes into the kitchen, sees whatever's in there, grabs whatever the fuck he wants, makes whatever the fuck he's making, and then it ends up being edible. 
because then like we're not talking about like whether the food tastes good or not because that depends on everyone's palate sure but just the act of the making like which right. one is better well i i think i think that I, I i do i do i think see where you're going and i and i guess i would just add in a couple of qualifications which is that I, I i suspect that it's probably not all one or all the other even with cooks like i suspect that probably even the best improviser even the best person to find whatever shits in your fridge and make something cool out of it has yeah. probably had a lot of really rigorous training leading up to that and has probably right, learned like it's, how to you know but but then beyond that i think like it, the recipe sort of, before the improviser right yeah like, like has, has done like a lot of recipe cooking yeah. like probably like if you if you only ever do uh, recipe cooking, then you're you're limited as a cook, like as a chef, like you have a real limitation. I, there's still like people who only cook from recipes and make lots of food that I like, and I think that's probably most people who cook most food. But but like you are definitely limited if that's all you ever do. If you never go from there to any kind of invention or improvisation on your own. But I would also say that like even before I could answer your your first question on the terms given, it still totally matters what the result is like. Because like, would I rather have the guy who who follows the boring recipe cook something that tastes pretty good, or would I rather have the genius improvise something that's garbage? Like, I, I, it does sort of matter how good it is at the end. Like, you can't separate those things. I don't think. But that thing that you're talking about right there, that's a personal preference. Because like Cameron was talking about earlier, like I fucking love McDonald's fries. Right. You know, well, fries, I don't, I don't, but that's but you're but like you're not. But that's also not your unique like esoteric view. Like McDonald's fries are universally beloved. Like of course. Like like, like that's not like that's not like you're not like a punk rock critic there. Like, uh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, where where were we? Where, what were we eating? What, what? Um, we were talking about French fries and how my argument was shit. No, no I don't think your argument's shit. But I think like it's not like that. It's a matter of personal taste. Doesn't mean that there's nothing we can agree on or there's nothing we could say broadly about like, like it isn't meaningless to say, Oh, he's a good cook. Yeah. Right. Like that part of what's entailed in there is like, however he makes the things he makes, they end up being good to eat. At least enough people agree. Like there's something that we share in our experience of that. Right. And like edible thing, like that seems, isn't that like too extreme? Like I swear, isn't urine edible? But yeah. like almost no one yeah, yeah, likes yeah. urine. I think yeah, I think people like it. No, that's <laughs> no one likes urine. A lot of people. Do. I, like, okay. Do they? okay, I stand corrected. But I'm but I also think like I'm as with McDonald's, like... as with McDonald's French fries, the consensus view might be that urine is urine is not is not a, a, a universal favorite. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's it you, it's you, like it, you do have like yeah you have niche taste if you like urine, and maybe you have niche mm. taste if you dislike McDonald's French fries. You know, maybe those things can both. And we're not. We're not judging you for either. Like if any of our no, listeners no, do like do like urine or you know don't like fries, but like, do, like if you cook a meal and it's really cold, it's still edible. But like a lot of people are gonna yeah. say it's cold. And also, if you cook a meal and the potatoes are really like overdone, almost everyone's gonna say they're overdone. But like yeah. I don't know. Yeah, and I'm sure we could all too say that. No, because I'm sure we could all say we've read poems that were like cold shitty. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I love the time. But but I think like but that's sort of what we're I think I think like that's where I tend to th like I do tend to think that, that that individual experience matters enormously in poetry and that there's no way sort of ultimately absolutely to account for every experience and and to say this is right or this is wrong you certainly can't measure it the way you can measure you know hard sciences or that stuff but i but i also think it's not it's not just like totally random in particular there are some there are some tendencies like there are things that we can say tend to please the ear more than others like i don't think that you would run into a lot of disagreement with this kind of suggestion in something like pop music or rap or you know, like yeah when, when there is a, when a lot of people do like people like you know there are there are people who would say this is the best rapper no this is the best rapper Cameron, I know cameron's uh number one is aesop rock and other people would say someone else but but like you probably it's like it's not an accident that lots of people say like oh yeah the, these five guys are all pretty fucking good right that, that's not just because of some statistical anomaly right yeah. 
So why would that not be true with poetry? I guess why would that not be true with literature? Well, I'm not saying that it's not. I'm just saying like because you have the people who are like because I think what you're like what's the word here? What you're combining is popularity and um, critical acclaim, which are two completely separate things. And yeah. in the yeah, poetry yeah, yeah. world, there is right. no real popularity, uh, and I think a lot of that comes from the way poetry has been presented by the academics over the years. I totally agree with you there. I think I think I, I think I'm, I'm in complete agree. agreement with what you said just there. Okay, well, Cameron, do you want to you want to make a distinction? Well, like no, because I I can't make any. Like so, okay, let's talk about. So I was listening to your um, latest episode of your podcast, Matt. I think it came out today, or the um, the one about why poetry isn't popular. Oh, okay. In my summer. Yeah, so I, I listened to half of that, and then Matthew messaged me and said, listen to this um, YouTube video by Eleanor. So I had oh, to sorry, I didn't mean to divert you. Yes. No, no, I'll forgive you this time. But um, um, So yeah, you say there that criticism is the thing that's hampering poetry could you just so could you expand on that so by criticism criticism do you mean sort of academic critical writing or do you mean reviews or do you, do you mean everything like could you just yeah <clears throat> talk about that well let me let me say it like this like we all have heard people say when we start talking to them about poetry shit like oh wow don't talk to me about that that's too that you're too smart for me i'm yeah, not gonna yeah, yeah. fucking understand right. that shit yeah. Okay, right. there's a reason why people think that they can't understand poetry, even though they probably grew up reading Dr. Seuss, Shel Silverstein, yeah, yeah, yeah. and what have you, you know? Like, people have been introduced to poetry at a young age, and it's fun and the whole thing. But somewhere along the line, something happened to where the majority of the population thinks that poetry is above them yeah. and too big for them. So who are the people responsible for that? the people teaching the stuff, the people writing the stuff, and the people talking about the stuff. Like, there, there's no other people to blame. Right. Something happened somewhere to, that fucked everything up for everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well and, well, and I think there maybe is, like, a there's a distinction worth noting, which is, like, also out of fashion are, you know, wall tapestries. Like, we don't we don't get a lot of our popular art through wall tapestries these days. But but most people wouldn't say, like, oh, man, I, I don't even know where to begin with wall tapestries. Like, most people wouldn't say, I'd feel totally unequipped to look at that and say whether it's pretty or not. But that's not the same thing. Because well, no, 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 I, like, the that's, like, that's the distinction I'm making. Like, I'm, I'm saying, no, but this is, see, this is part of, the distinction I'm making is just that, like, I think poetry may have become less popular over time anyway, but then on top of that, in addition to that, people became intimidated by it. Like it's normal for various art forms to fade in and out of relevance, out of popularity, but then what is a little bit artificial with poetry is that there's this additional crust of pretension and intimidation. But why? Oh, I think I think it's mostly because of how it's been taught. I think I mean I think I think like Dana Joya, who's I totally am not on the same page with most of the time. Oh, is he uh, the is he the one who, who, who said you had a party with or something? And he said, oh, "What was it like?" I think I thought I was the best poet of my generation. It turned out I was. I was. Oh was yeah, it, he said I always him. wanted to be the greatest poet and critic of my generation, and and I think I am. That's what he said. <laughs> yeah, but no, but he he, he is. I mean, curiously, as a new formalist, he he kind of blamed the the new critics. Not you know not not because he thought they were wrong, but because he thought when their observations got picked up by run-of-the-mill school teachers and academics, it got turned into a, a hard and fast method that then became frustrating and boring and intimidating to people. I think, it's, I think he makes a pretty good argument for that. So I th I'm totally with you. I, I do think that you have a... I'm totally cynical at academia. I think your cynicism may have a slightly different flavor than mine. But I also think that a lot of secondary school teachers are to blame. I mean, not not like individual secondary school teachers who are doing God's work, but like I think the, I think a lot of people get poisoned on poetry before they even get to college. Oh yeah, yeah, and I agree with both of you there. Yeah, no, the new critics are to blame. Like I don't, I don't, I can't see any way of arguing against that. I just, I don't know. I think there is worth in sitting down and talking for two hours about a poem's feature, like. 
so you say this in your podcast, Matt, and I'm probably mm. slightly misquoting you, but like you talk about how um, it seems I you don't say useless, but am I right that it seems useless to you for people to talk talk about one poem for two hours and, and no, analyze it's not, it? It's it's not useless for people to talk about a poem for two hours. But I feel like the reasons why people talk about poems for two hours is to make the people around them feel fucking stupid. <laughs> like, critics want to be the smartest person in the fucking room. Yeah. And they don't ever, like, in, in the podcast, they say a lot of critics say they have open minds, but they never change their fucking mind about anything. So how open is their fucking mind? You know, it's just like, let me see how much bullshit I can fucking throw at the wall talking about this poem and like i don't know if you heard the last poetry says episode with eleanor on it but they were talking about the fucking poem about the fucking humans and the dog yeah and like someone was trying to yeah someone was trying to like say like the meaning about it and the poet was like going yeah you could probably pull meaning you could probably do this but it's It's just crap it's like a joke it's a funny it's a funny exactly yeah but like motherfuckers just quick, quickly if you would for if, in case i don't know if cameron if you heard that yet but, but for people who might not have heard that would you quickly describe this poem it's I'll, I'll find it and put a link in the show notes but it's it's a it's Which a dog, the title says something it? like a dog on a here let me fucking find it oh yeah i think i only heard the i heard that uh, or it like has two one. words in it and it's like it says human like 128 times and then dog but I yeah. guess it's concrete poetry oh, and it might be in the shape of an airplane. Yeah, do- the do- and dog oh. is like two th- two thirds of the way. It's buried in there. Dog is like in a middle seat, two thirds of the way down. But it's and the, and the and the, oh, the, the, the words are lined up in a way that is that is meant to resemble like the seating plan of an airplane. The title is uh, "Dog on a British Airways Airbus 319-100 by Louisa Campbell, um, and it was shortlisted for the forward prize. <laughs> I hope it fucking wins. <laughs> I hope it fucking wins, dude. I hope I hope. I, I don't I, I, I go mean, to I, a comedy festival to hear something funny, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I have I have neither I mean, I thought it was a funny joke. I thought I have I don't give a shit about the forward prize, but yeah, it it, it didn't impress me much as a poem, but I just thought it was like it was a funny moment. It was like a, a good bit, you know. Uh, which is all I would want it to be, I think. And it seemed like that was all Louisa Campbell wanted it to be. But like what they were saying on the podcast too is like there's going to be a lot of pissed off poets that that poet beat their fucking poem out. Sure, you know what I'm saying. But, th- so but that like, also would be true, almost no matter what. I know, but a lot of people are going to be more mad. That yeah, this gives them something specific show. to focus on. This yeah, gives them, yeah, this makes yeah. it easier to articulate what they're mad about, I guess. And what and so okay and so right right to the and, and oh yeah, so Cameron is apparently one of the poets who is mad about this. But but so, so I actually think that this this point and Cameron's sort of challenge might be particularly relevant to your second declaration, Matt. Would oh, you read I have that the declaration. Yes. Yeah. Because okay. number two. Because I think that I think I that. Remember. Oh yeah, we, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, go ahead. I totally yeah. want. So to are we gonna say, yeah. are we gonna oh, go yeah. past form? Because can I? Are we gonna? Is, like, oh yeah, we sorry, we did we did can sort I just of skip ask about form. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, Matt. Can I? No, you're so. You associate form mostly with um, metrical and rhyming poems, right? Like when I hear you talk about form, it's mostly to do with assonance, consonants, and you talk about whether people put them in, and you talk about meter well, and rhyme. Like when I'm talking vaguely about it, but I understand that there are numerous, numerous different kinds of forms and ways of doing things. But then to me, that's just plagiarism. And that's probably going to piss everybody off too. Wait, but wait, like, wait, sorry, sorry. Just, just, cl- just clarify if you will yeah, you what you're saying exactly. That? <laughs> like, okay, <laughs> a form becomes a form because somebody did it, and then somebody copied it and said, uh-huh, "Wow, this right. is cool. Look, this is now a form. Let's right. all do this." And everyone's like, "Okay, hold my beer. Let me do the thing that you did. I will copy you." It's just, yeah. it's so like I, I know that a lot of people like it and i understand right. its historical reference i personally don't really care for it okay okay two points like yes and no in that yeah you're right but also no one writes in dactylic hexameter like homer does but everyone writes sonnets so my throwback would be some forms i think have some kind of rhythm of bearing to the psychology of human beings 
Like I, I can see a patterns of thought in the form of a sonnet, and I'm not talking about well, rhyme. When did, when did I'm talking sonnets, like argument and counter argument. When when were sonnets created? When was the term sonnet? Sonnet, I think term it was sonnet, sonnetina is an Italian term, and it was a yeah, it's li- uh, it means little song, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. Did, did he? He, I don't he think he even writes sonnets. I don't think he invented it. Petrarch did write sonnets, but he didn't. He didn't. Did he like? Are they sonnets? Yeah. Are they okay? Yeah, because okay. like the Wyatt poem, uh, "Who's the to Hunt?" is is almost a translation. Yeah, that's I mean, a, a sonnet, but that, yeah. No, but I mean, but that's like almost a, like that's that's a like a, a translation of a Petrarch sonnet, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Okay, no, I'm being too strict. Like, I just wondered if, Pet, if Petrarch's poems are fourteen lines because of like the translation of the Tanzania. I have a lot of the poems on. They're not fourteen lines. Oh, not sure. a lot of like some of them aren't like no, oh. I don't know some of them might yeah, yeah, yeah. but the ones I have aren't. And but I also and he, besides... and he and he also didn't do pentameter. He did hendecosyllabics or something, but it was like yeah, like but was he, it iambic? He, uh, I don't know. Must have been iambic. Is it Italian? It's an Italian or naturally iambic language? I think it was know. alternate. I think the stresses were alternating, but I think they might have just been hendecosyllables. Well, I'm, I'm sure Shane's screaming at his microphone or his, at his earphones right now. Um, but yeah, like yeah, like it, it in uh, it's like a, a early Renaissance Italian development. I think like okay, it, so it, yeah. So were sonnets done before that? Oh, uh, that is a good question. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So Matthew, I think, hinges on this point by correcting me and our debate about whether uh, Petrarch's sonnets were sonnets because i'm wrong here in that i think petrarch's poems are sonnets whether they're 14 lines or not it's about the structure of argument counter argument mm. and the sometimes conclusion sometimes diversion yeah like, yeah moving from yeah if we look sure. at petrarch or shakespeare sure, sure. but i think that structure in the poetry has been around for like eternity like i yeah. i reckon if you go through sappho you could find pretty similar structures so I think some but were those structures made for that purpose, or was that just like yes, there are some sonnets in this giant piece of other work that you can I, look back and go, oh yes, now I can see that there was a sonnet here. I think I think you're getting like I think you're you're getting the um, the cart before the horse a little bit because like, I think like the reason because because what like the the the, the old rhetorical Sorry, me, form me or Matt 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 Which I one think of like okay. I think Matt probably. Matt is, but, yeah. The, like the, the old rhetorical form that I think of as being like a like related to that sonnet volta argument because that's you're right, Cameron. Like in a way, like the most interesting formal component of the sonnet is the rhetorical form, not the the metrical form, but the or the rhyme scheme. The um mm. the, the the old rhetorical form that that I think of as being a, like an, an ancestor of that is the priamel, which is or the priamel, however you say it. It's which is. Which is not this, not this, not this, but that, which is like the 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 um, uh, Sappho's um, uh, Anactoria poem is famously a, like a, a very clean example of a sonnet. She's or right, a, right, a very primal right. where she says like, I don't. Some people say that the best sight is this. Others say it's this. Others say it's that. I say it's you. It's like a great you know. It's a great move. It's a great. And I yeah. think like that rhetorical form, that move, didn't become. A form because lots of people said I want to do that. It, it 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 turned into itself over time because it worked. Like it like people tried a lot of different things and some of them worked better than others. But did people do it on their own or did someone say, oh, I should tell everyone that they should do this thing? Because I, I think people. Good. I think I think at least in terms of most like most poets who were worth their salt do things because they think they will sound good and they will work like i think they all poets copy one another but i think the the ones who are i the ones like i read i'm, I'm assuming they didn't say oh the rules say i'm supposed to write a poem this way I, i'm thinking they said oh shit, that guy's poem was great i want to do something like that yeah like but now but, no, people, ahead, Cameron, sorry. no sorry no like i was just gonna say the people who adopted the strict sonnet form did so yes because other people were doing it but also at least the best of them did it because they recognized that that brought out sort of a blatant formalistic technique that was residing in their own writing and, and the sort of strict sonnet form gave that a sort of fully fledged gracefulness whoa whoa wait you're you're saying that like the the sonnet was within them all along yeah and they and sure, they like yeah. like they had it they had a they had that basically like they recognized something that would bring out an existing quality of their own poetic impulse right yeah that's yeah. like a that's like some some like harold bloom spiritual guru shit there like I, <laughs> all right 
I can't. Ar- I mean, I can't say no. But wow. All right. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, yeah. it's you, you can't argue it because it's a guess throwing a rock in a fucking pond, you know. Like so, like <laughs> I mean, but that's that's the whole thing. Like so much stuff that is being taught and forced on people as this is what this is is all based on speculation of do we even know what these motherfuckers were thinking and what was happening before those motherfuckers thought that. Yeah, I mean, but I think I think some of that is it comes again. Like I think the the culprit there is bad teaching, not bad. Like I don't think that poets. So what makes it bad teaching? Uh, it's it doesn't identify what is there to love to begin with, and like I think I think any any teaching of poetry that doesn't take its foundation from this sounds good or I like like this this gives but pleasure all in some that's way. Subjective though. That's all subjective, right? Shit. But I think you. But I think, as with cooking, as with any other art, I think there's no accounting for taste, but there's some accounting for taste. Like you can say, you can say, like we, like I mean, again, we're talking about French fries and urine. Like you can make you can make some meaningful predictions about what people will like, and like you know, and, and some of that is acquired. But I don't think it's. I was gonna say that's definitely gonna be the title of this episode. <laughs> French well, fries and urine. French fries and like it has to be. It has featuring, to be. featuring Matt Wall. Yeah, there he yeah. is. So there. Right? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> that's good that's good yeah story. like i know i think i think like a good poetry class should at least have some kinship to like a good cooking class a good or or like not even cooking you know maybe like food appreciation or music appreciation where like the goal is not to become a, a professor the goal is to be able to enjoy this stuff in your own life right i think like the, and, and to enjoy it in a way that is you know knowing more about it does help you enjoy it more like when i have gotten interested in an art form you know, there are times when I can find it stultifying to like take in a bunch of facts about it. But generally speaking, learning more about it helps me enjoy it more. And I think I think like teaching art of all kinds should should lead with pleasure. Like pleasure should always be the the. But this the guide. is all subjective. That's the whole thing. <laughs> That's the whole bitch. Like everything we're talking about is subjective. How we feel about it. Do we love it? Do we enjoy it? Is there pleasure in it? That's all subjective. That's not an objective thing. And so the teaching of poetry has become, this is an objective thing that you are subjectively supposed to like because I tell you to. That doesn't I don't make sense. I don't, okay, so then this is where I wonder also about our various experiences with academia. Like I, I've had more than my fair share and more than I care to have. Like I, I don't, you know, I've had a, I've a lot of, had a lot of experiences with bad teachers in college. I also, my experience was certainly not that, I mean, on very few occasions did I have teachers say, this is objectively good and this is objectively bad and you should like this or you shouldn't like that. I certainly had a couple say like, I would like to see you move, do more with this than with that. Or I would, you know, like this kind of thing pleases me. And I I mean, I got into, I actually got into an, an argument with like a bad argument with a teacher in college because he said, this poem fails. He was talking, he wasn't talking about mine. He was talking about someone else's poem. And I said, no, I think there's some value in it. And he said, no, there's not. God damn it. <laughs> so like, that was a, like, that was one of the few times I encountered something like a kind of a hard wall there. But for the most part, it was, it was subjectivity all the way down. Like, I mean, for the most part, it was, it was n- not, n- you know, like the new critics were anathema to the people who taught me poetry in college. Like they were, they were very much, uh, they much, they rejected any kind of objective criteria for, for teaching poetry, Cameron. I mean, I know thing time. You know, the times change, but you're you are at least sort of in the mix with that right now. What is your experience? Well, like as I always say, we are not being taught a lot of poetry. Like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not on a creative writing course. I'm on an English literature course, so I'm not like no one's looking at poems we're writing. I know, like oh no, no, but but even reading like, books but you presumably you're reading some poems that somebody books. wrote. Yeah. So, and try it. So I've had one. Okay, so we did twentieth. So this, this last year we've done twentieth century, twentieth first century literature. I'm sorry, you're, and you're fading out of the end of your sentence. Sorry. Um, shit, I'm just moving around. Okay. Um, this year we did twentieth century and twenty-first century literature. On the reading list were, on the reading list who were poets were, Yeats, Eliot, uh, Whitman, and Dickinson. This is, this is a dream did, reading list for you, Matt. Right. 
but we had so the reading list you get a basically the tutor puts a lot of shit on the reading list and we have a seminar once a week about some of the writers on the reading list yeah out of all those poets by the way they're the only poets given to us to represent poetry in the 20th and 21st century and 19th century like apparently they're what sort of our tutor thought were the only poets of no i guess as she put them on there the only poet we actually talked about that was t.s Eliot's the wasteland and to be fair to her yeah i swear you hate this poem matt i like i love this poem like it's not going well i hate more what he did it for than the poem itself because i actually like parts of the poem but whatever yeah that's fair enough like what he did did it for is pretty morally but like I love the poem, but the our, we had a lesson with our tutor. She never said it was objectively good or anything, or we should like right. it. I mean, she never says we should like anything. She normally says, "Oh, this book by Henry James is one of my favorite books," and then does a really good sort of an analysis of, of what's good about it. And most of those things are technical. And when we came to the wasteland, she mainly talked about oh, it was about it was about the um the card scene of. Uh, I never know how to say it. Was it Philomela or Philomela? I can't. Philo- Philo- I think sometimes I, I I used to say Philomela, but then I think uh, I think Philomela or Philomela because uh, that's I think of uh, the the Dunn. No, it's not. Is it? Um, no, it's not Dunn. Philomela, sorry, sorry the, the Raleigh, the Raleigh poem where he he um, uh, Philomel is uh, uh, oh Ellie, maybe what's going on? Whoa. <laughs> Sorry, y'all go ahead. I'm going to paint some some sparkly fingernails for a second. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm listening. So, no, what? <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry. You're you're going on. Yeah. No, no, no. Uh, what was I saying? Something about some woman whose name we can't pronounce. Philomel. Yeah, Philomel. Yeah, her. The, she says in the poem something like a picture of Philomel carved on the wall, and uh, like the tutor gave us a lesson about. Well, she talked about sort of implications of sexual sexual violence in the poem and sort of Eliot's overtones. She made a quite an interesting point about how Eliot was less sexist than he, than he seems and like was making interesting commentary on the abuse of women. But that's sort of my encounter. That's my only encounter with poetry and academia. This year, we're going to do a lot of medieval literature. So that's basically all going to be poetry. So like, I'm going to have more poetry, but none of it's going to be contemporary. So like... That's my only. That's my basic encounter with poetry and academia. Yeah. Whereas when I was in college, we and granted, I I I didn't take. I was not an English major. So, uh, but like in the creative writing classes I took, we read nothing that had not been written within like the previous thirty years. It's like all like ultra ultra contemporary. That's insane. That's, oh, it's totally insane. insane. It's totally insane. Like... I think it's totally insane. Yeah. But Matt, what's your so what so. What's your, if any, what's your experience of academia? What sort of, what led you to form these views? Well, I'm going to blow your guys' minds right now that I was a philosophy major. <laughs> so. Okay. Yeah, that, that checks out. Um, yeah. Check this out. Yeah. Um, no, I was a philosophy major and I minored in sociology. And um, then okay. after three years, I said i don't want to do this anymore wise, wise man yeah. yeah fair enough so yeah. that's it and like honestly i just have this and maybe it comes from philosophy teachers but i don't think it does because this i could go back to high school with this too but um i just really have this feeling that the reason why poetry is taught in such an obscure an obtuse way is to save their fucking jobs because if everyone knew that poetry was simple and poetry was easy and anyone can do it why the fuck would there be people teaching it and how can they like hold their status in the community if it was something available and open to everyone and this goes right back to Elliot and fucking Mason you know like um, fuck me yeah Ellie, baby, not not right here because it's making loud noises here. Wish someone would come paint my fucking nails, dude. <laughs>
No, I was just saying, Matt had just hit the waistline. Like, the I was waistline, getting ready yeah. for his, his attack on it. Okay, like, yeah. Do you want, do you want to, do you yeah. want to give a, an attack on the wasteland as a, well, it sounds like your attack is not on the poem yeah. so much as on his It's not his so motives. much on the poem as it, it, exactly. Okay. And what a piece of shit. Just well, do you want to articulate what that is? Like what, what it is that you, you, he yeah, you purposefully wrote, he purposely wrote the wasteland in a way that not anyone would understand and people would have to talk about. <clears throat> and discuss and all this other shit. And the thing that bothers me about it is, is if we talk about like what was his purpose in the actual poem itself, like what was he trying to get across? What was the thing that was like crushing his soul that he had to get out on paper? Like, why would he keep that to an elite group of people to decide what his art was instead of giving it to the masses? It's a piece of shit fucking move. And he's a motherfucker for it. I don't care if he wrote cat poems or not. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to disagree with this. Like, okay. firstly, isn't the wasteland pretty easy to understand? Like, if you just, like, throw away all the foreign languages and whatever. It, it Like, I think anyone, if you read it, can work out. This guy is saying, I'm sad with modernity. I'm very depressed. And, like, and that's... Like, that, that, that's yeah, that's I, a pretty sure, accurate sure, summary but, of the but way. But I think I think like you you said like let's throw out all the foreign languages. Like you just lost a significant portion of the poem there. Like you like like there's I think like it, it is not even if I think no, you're no, right like, you can you can read through the poem you can get a pretty strong sense of like the the lyric motion of it. It is you would not be a fool to come to that cold and say what the fuck is going on. Like and that's not my, a, that's my not argument a, with this yeah. is and like forget me being here forget us being here if you like were to type in like on google or youtube like what does this poem mean there would yeah. probably be the wasteland more than any other poem <laughs> and there would be a hundred different videos a hundred different articles about people describing what that means the only reason why that would happen is if the majority of people didn't know what the fuck it meant so, right. yeah, yes, yeah. there are going to be people who fucking understand it. There are going to be people who could fucking just chew that fucking language up and understand everything and be fucking fine with it. But right. for the majority of people, they're not going to fucking get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like when people when people write about the sonnets, they like Shakespeare sonnets, they don't write what is it, what do they mean? They write mm -hmm. like who was the dark lady, right? Or like was Shakespeare gay? Like they ask those kind of questions because like it's not hard to follow what they mean because they're pretty fucking clear. So, I mean, well, it's early modern English, but I think like... Yeah, there. I mean, there are there are obscure moments, but overall, you're, you're not like, running into a wall the way that the, I think you often do in the wasteland. Sure, sure. But like on a side note, have you heard um, of the J.H. Prynne book? Like, I can't remember the number of the sonnet, but it's. Oh, it's do you know the sonnet where it's like, um, "Those who can move others but are not moved." What's the phrasing? Like, is oh, it sonnet ninety six? You know, probably not. But you, do you know that one? Like, there's a whole book on that one about what it means. I I guess I'm not surprised by that, but I also I think like that that may be the exception that proves the rule with this like at least with the sure, 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 like, sure. it's a, like like th that is I mean because I think like my biggest objection at the wasteland which I I love like I I I read it and I think you know when I heard Robert Penn Warren's experience with it was that he he read it he had no idea what was going on but he was entranced by it he thought it was beautiful and he painted a bunch of stuff on his dorm room walls because he just thought it was cool and I think like that's that was basically right. my response I felt like this is so fucking cool and then you know when like I, I was glad to spend more time with it later my biggest objection to it is is it's uh the wake that it left because then people have been doing that shit doing a deliberately ob obscure poetry for mm -hmm. a century since then and that like that's what drives me crazy about it i think reach yeah yes yes that's agreed it's but, like but i, I really like the first two parts of the wasteland the first two parts i love and then um but then i just started i'm like okay fuck this whatever but yeah I hear and you. his rendering of the the road to emmaus i think is like i'm not i'm not a christian but i but like that made that particular story even more poignant i think like there's you know I, I mean, I love Elliot. I love like so much of what he wrote, mm. but I think whatever his intentions with that poem, and I do think that he, like he is self-deprecating in some of the, the, the notes in a way that I think has gotten lost a little bit. Like he is sort of making fun of his own obscure obscurity there, but but the the precedent it set and the model people took it to be, I think has been pretty deadly for, for a lot of poetry. But, but Cameron, you are more, you are, you find obscure poetry friendlier or maybe you find 
more poetry, less obscure. I'm not sure how, but I don't know if I find it less obscure. I just I don't know. I just don't mind reading. I don't. I don't think I get. I don't think I'm troubled if I'm difficult or obscure. So what were you saying, Cameron? Um, just now I was saying I just I don't know. I just I, I really find it hard to phrase, but like. I don't. I don't mind if a poem's difficult. I, I just. I. I don't mind if I don't understand a poem. I think. I don't. That is not to say that I don't think a poem should be un, like non-understandable. And I. Yeah. I think I get tired of poems when I think there's nothing to understand. But I don't really mind. Like on my first reading, the understanding of the poem is not my top priority. I think. I don't come to a poem and think, "Can I understand it?" No. Okay, I'm gone. Like that's not. That's not how I read the poem to me. Yeah. But like that that might not even be how you read it. Like how so how do so if you come to a poem, Matt, how do you read? Like how honestly you, for me, the thing yeah. I want more than anything is that I want the poem to ask me a question. Like okay. if 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 I had anything, that would be it. So the poem has to ask a question. I have to after I read it go like oh shit like fuck and like contemplate whatever the fuck it is i have to contemplate you know and when things become super obscure and you don't even know what the fuck the question is it's like why the fuck are we talking like okay i wouldn't i wouldn't talk to another human being like that if uh if my boss talked to me like that i'd quit my fucking job (laughs) yeah um, if a woman fucking talked to me like that, and believe me, I love women way more than I fucking love poetry. But if a woman fucking talked to me like that, I would be out the fucking door. So <laughs> why am I letting a poet talk to me in fucking weird little games and shit when I just want to know what the fuck you're talking about so we can continue the conversation? The, like the different the difference for me is that like there there are, there are sometimes things that I look for in conversation that I don't look for elsewhere and vice versa. Like the things I look for in literature that I don't aren't, aren't, aren't the same thing that I look for in conversation. Like, for example, I love plot. It's really fashionable right now to, to trash plot in fiction and to, to dismiss the importance of plot. I love plot. I think plot's great. Yeah. And I love a, a plotty movie. I love a plotty a novel play. I really want to see forward motion, forward action. I have had, I have been friends with a few people who have turned their life into a, propulsive plot that's fucking awful like that's horrible i don't want plot from my personal relationships like i don't want schemes and drama and you know like like secret motivations and surprises and reversals i don't want that in my so like there are things i go to literature for that are not the things i go to conversation for and i think that's true for poetry like i wouldn't want to talk to somebody who spoke in fucking rhyme but i do enjoy rhyming poetry you know <laughs> So, like, I think that is there, but I, I think Cameron may agree, may have a stronger disagreement, with, I suspect, with what you said. I guess I just put, like, I'd put into a metaphor like this. Instead of treating the poem as someone talking to me, I'd probably treat the poem as sort of a world made out of language. Or maybe not a world, but, like, a, a, a landscape or an environment made out of language that I could move among. That's, I'm, I'm quite proud of that myself. I think that's a pretty good, uh, yeah, I've been trying to articulate this for, like, loads of episodes. I think... That is my relationship to a poem. So, it's do you really like? Do you really like speculative poetry? Define speculative poetry. Like poetry that's like kind of like science fiction based or horror based or things of the unknown. I really like speculative fiction. Speculative poetry. I don't think I'd like it any more or any less than any other type of poetry. Like I don't. I don't think. The alienness of the landscape would be the thing that fascinates me. It would be like how the landscape of language is put together. And this is why I'm going to break the metaphor slightly. It'd be like the phrase making and how the meaning interacts with the language. That's what, that's what would. So you don't care if the poet says like, I leaned up on this tree, but he called it like a gobbledygook and you didn't know what the fuck he was talking about. Because that's he's painting a landscape and he can call a tree whatever the fuck he wants to call a tree and it could be totally obscure and weird and doesn't bother you i wouldn't care at first what i'd eventually ask if i found the poem worth enough to keep reading what i'd eventually ask the poem is what 
is the reason behind calling this tree by a specific name, and does that add anything to the landscape of the poem and the land of, and of the language? So, like, I, I wouldn't care. No, the, like, I wouldn't care about the obscurity on a first reading, but I wouldn't get pissed off on the first time round a poem that the tree was not called a tree. But after a while, if I liked the poem enough, I'd start questioning why he called the tree by a specific name. Instead of I understand. Yeah. For for me, like that that kind of move where there there are big patches that I just skid over because I can't follow them, that tends to that tends to discourage me from coming back to a poem. And that is my experience. But but Cameron, I, I'm actually really curious now because we've talked a little bit about synesthesia for a variety of reasons in previous episodes, um, and I'm now wondering, uh, like when I read anything and it's one of the reasons i'm such a slow reader i have to in my mind's ear hear the voice of somebody saying the words like i i have to i can't read any faster than the sounds yeah, right. of the words could be made do right. you hear words in your head when you read or do you experience something differently because i i'm even wondering if like the tactile experience you have reading is part of this mm. tactile experience is part i don't know about that matthew maybe not to a big extent though I don't think you... I'd love a poem if, if I thought the letters were well, well made. No, sorry, I'm ignoring your first point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. the problem is I hear a lot of poems. Oh, and, and I don't like, mean that like so they like, feel nice on your fingertips. That, yeah, I definitely don't mean that. I just like, mean like I'm curious about how you process nice the words. Right, right, so yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, so the like, phone book would I read, feel nice, yeah. I read, the, I read the poem and I hit, sometimes I get speech software and shit to read the poem out at the same time. So I'm, I'm reading it tactilely and auditory at the same time. So, like, I'm hearing a voice say it. The voice isn't really human. But, like, the big thing is I don't care about the poem. I don't care that the poem's words, I can't imagine those words spoken by an ordinary human being. And, in fact, I find that sometimes exciting. Like, I, fi I find the excite the alienness of the voice or the newness of the voice or the idiosyncrasy of the voice um, exciting in its own right. And I don't think that's sort of the that's key thing sense. a poet should aim for, but I, that, that is part of the enjoyment. But, but this, and, and this is, and I... I and totally, I think this is a, that is like a real difference between how you and I experience mm -hmm. poetry. But but I'm actually even curious about like a more fundamental understanding of voice. Like even before you get to the place where you say like, would a person say this? Is this how people talk? I mean, literally, like I have to experience it auditorily, even if I'm not reading it aloud. Like I I I have a hard time. Like, I can't read any faster than I can imagine the sounds of the word being said. But I know a lot of people read, like, Joanna reads so fast, she's not hearing anything in her head. She's just whipping her eyes over the words. So I'm curious but, what your internal experience, I mean, but it sounds like sometimes your experience is literally touching something while hearing it at the same time. Yeah. No, I, I yeah, that's probably going to hamper it. But, like, I think, I don't think I could go about hearing the words in my head. Like, I, okay. I wouldn't want to. And I, I think, I think that happens. Right, that was this week's show there as i said there will be more to come of this conversation and i may actually i may maybe i'll put the rest out sooner rather than later on the secret show feed i think it, it is a lot of fun and we get into we get some like sort of get into some, some sort of thorny questions in the next uh couple sections about what whether Cameron's method of revising poems is, as I suggest, uh, totally wrongheaded and terrible, or whether uh, Matt Wall is in fact an Instapoet influencer. But um, it, it is it was a lot of fun, and I hope you will. I hope you enjoyed this, and I hope you'll enjoy the rest to come. If you want to write me about this or anything, boy, already getting some <laughs> some strong opinions about good old Amit Majmdar. Boy, I love, I love, <laughs> he is such a good sport and people have very strong feelings, but uh, the, write me about that or anything at sleerickets at gmail.com. Thank you. And with any luck, I will be speaking to you again very soon. Until then. <laughs>